Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Today on Something You Should Know, you know the saying when you drink something and start coughing that it must have gone down the wrong pipe. Well, did it? Then, a surgeon with important health hacks you need to know. You see so many people shoving Q-tips in their ears. And the Q-tip essentially pushes any earwax you're trying to get further in towards the eardrum. And it can actually end up being pushed and stick against the eardrum. Also, interesting ways the heat escapes from your house you probably didn't know. And simple behavior changes to address the conflict in any relationship. Let's behave in ways that are good for both of us. And when I act like a jerk and I hurt your feelings or I do something that's not team-oriented, that's more self-focused, I want to know about that because I care about you. I care about how my behavior impacts you. All this today on Something You Should Know. If you have to hire someone, what's the best way? Referrals? Well, maybe that could work. But just because somebody knows somebody who knows you doesn't necessarily mean they're qualified. Or you could pull out that file of random resumes that came in during the last six months. Maybe there's somebody in there. Maybe. Now, if you're hiring, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. As a business owner, I've found that hiring the right people, there's just nothing more important. Don't leave it to chance or a referral or a random resume. Use Indeed. In the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com something. Just go to Indeed.com something right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on something you should know. Indeed.com something. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? Oh, you need Indeed. Something you should know. Fascinating intel, the world's top experts, and practical advice you can use in your life. Today, Something You Should Know with Mike Carruthers. Hi, and welcome. I want to start today with what I'm pretty sure is a universal experience. That is when you take a drink of something, every once in a while, something goes wrong. You start coughing and choking And when that happens, people often say, oh, it must have gone down the wrong pipe. Well, is there really a wrong pipe? Yeah, kind of there is. There are two pipes in your throat, the trachea, which is for air, and it goes to the lungs, and your esophagus, which is where food and drinks go down. Sometimes what happens is you drink something and your brain forgets to close the little flap over your trachea. So that drink starts going down the trachea, which is the wrong pipe. 
This usually happens when you're not paying attention to what you're doing. So then you start coughing to get it out of the trachea and back down the esophagus where it belongs. And most of us are pretty good at doing that. In fact, you don't want to suppress that cough. You want to cough it up. Because if food or drink does go down the trachea and gets to the lungs, that can cause problems, including pneumonia. The way to prevent it is to pay attention to what you're eating and drinking when you're eating and drinking it. And that is something you should know. We all want to be healthy, and there's certainly no shortage of health advice out there if you want it. But I would like you to hear some interesting health advice, much of which I doubt you've heard before. This comes from a doctor, a surgeon, who actually looks inside of people and can see how what they do impacts their health. Dr. Curran Rajan, he is a surgeon in the UK and one of the most prominent medical doctors on social media. He's got over 7 million social media followers where he offers sound medical advice and busts some myths as well. He is also author of the book, This Book May Save Your Life, Everyday Health Hacks to Worry Less and Live Better. Hey doctor, welcome to Something You Should Know. Well, thank you very much for having me, Michael. So I like the fact that a lot of your advice is a, is a little different or, or, or at least a little less well-known than the usual stuff we hear. And give me an example of that, of something people may not know that could really help. I'll give you an example. Like, if someone understands why a certain part of their body causes pain or why a certain disease process causes pain that is actually scientifically proven to reduce their perception of pain. So actually understanding something can improve your health. One area of the body that I think people have questions about, although I'm not sure they want to hear the details, is the gut. And you're a gut surgeon. What is going on in there? Why, are, why do we have problems with it? What are those problems? What are the symptoms and the causes of the symptoms? What's going on in the gut? That's a good question. And I'm a gut surgeon myself, so I'd like to think of it as a pet subject of mine. And the gut is an interesting one. We hear so many things about gut health and you know, that seems to be a buzzword or a buzz phrase these days about gut health and how to improve your microbiome, probiotic supplements. And the truth is, and maybe I'm biased, but I feel that the gut is so interconnected to your brain, to your immune system, to your general health, to your longevity. And at the core of it, it comes down to a few very basic things. It's not actually very complex. And those few basic things are what? having lots of fiber. So for an average adult, 30 grams of fiber a day. In the Western world, we'd be lucky if the average adult is getting a third of that in a day. And here's something really interesting. If you increase your fiber intake by just 10 grams a day, you lower your bowel cancer risk, your colorectal cancer risk by 10%. So for such a small trade-off, you get such a big win. What about, just like everything else, people think, well, I'll just take, you know, a supplement or Metamucil or whatever, and, and I'll be fine. So I think there is a role for fiber supplements, like you mentioned, Metamucil, uh, psyllium husk is another great type of insoluble fiber you can take. But actually, there's things we can do in our daily lives, in our daily habits. So 
you probably heard the craze of probiotic supplements, you know, these little pills or shakes or drinks that you can take and they are aiming to give you live microorganisms or bacteria, good bacteria to replenish your gut. Actually, that is a load of hype, not really health. That's like saying everyone in one city can go to a store and buy a suit and it'll fit everyone the same. Our gut DNA and our gut microbiome is so individualized and different. So actually, you can get those bacteria that you need, those beneficial bacteria, just by eating foods which contain microorganisms, uh, live yogurt, certain aged cheeses, pickled vegetables. These are better sources of probiotics than supplements. But if I'm not inclined to eat aged cheese or yogurt, wouldn't that be better than nothing? Not really, because these supplements are, number one, very expensive. Um, you know, they are in excess of some gym memberships. So actually, if you wanted to take care of your microbiome, there are many things you can do that for outside the remit of your diet. For example, if you're walking around in nature and you're taking walks in gardens and parks, you're exposed to airborne microbes, some of which are very beneficial. If you're interacting with other people, you interact with their own microbiome. If you exercise, that has a positive impact on your own gut bacteria and microbes. If you avoid prolonged periods of sleep deprivation, that is also beneficial for your gut bacteria. So the actual general lifestyle factors, they can be protective for our gut bacteria. And it's not just about diet. Diet plays a role for sure. You know, high amounts of fiber, different colored Fruits and vegetables provide different sources of energy for these bacteria, but it's really a lot of different pillars in our health which can improve our gut health. Since the gut is your area of expertise, do you find there are any misconceptions about gut and gut health? I think one of the biggest misconceptions about gut health is that we have to always have a perfect diet and it takes a very long time for us to correct our gut health. But what's really interesting is that there have been studies which have shown that the food you eat today, within 24 hours, it can have a change on the composition and the makeup of your microbiome. So actually, it's not about just long-term habits, even short-term habits can have positive impacts on our gut health. So you can start eating more fiber today and those positive ripples will start showing tomorrow. So yeah. actually it's a very dynamic interface between our environment and the food we eat and us. They, we need to treat the microbiome and the gut not as an inert object that we just shovel food into, but actually as living tenants inside us? And how can we be good landlords and take care of these tenants who actually take care of us? Talk about the importance of drinking water because, you know, it always seems like you're never drinking enough water. You've got to stay hydrated. How much is enough? And what does it do for you? So the eight glasses of water a day came about decades ago, and it wasn't really based on any strict science. And you know, we are just walking bags of water. We're more than 75, 80% water. So yes, we do need liquid 
water to stay hydrated. But fortunately, most of the foods that we eat are hydrated. It contains food. It, sorry, it contains water. We drink water that's contained within the sodas that we drink in teas and coffees and juices. So we get plenty of water. And the best way to figure out if you are drinking enough is a few things. You obviously can look at the color of your pee. And another misconception, your pee does not need to be crystal clear. It just needs to be straw colored, like hay. If it's that, it's fine. If it's too clear, you're probably overhydrating. You don't need that. And if it's very dark yellow, like dark apple juice, you're probably underhydrated and dehydrated. And you can also uh, tell by how thirsty you're feeling, the dryness around your mucosal membranes, the lips and the mouth. These are very easy telltale signs to see if you're hydrated enough. Certainly a common problem people have is sleep. They don't get enough. They don't sleep well. What's your recommendation? So a lot of people reach for quick fixes and supplements and other shortcuts or sleeping pills. And actually, again, a huge misconception, sleeping pills themselves, uh, benzodiazepines or anything that people might take, don't actually put you into what we call a restorative sleep. They just turn the TV off, as it were. It doesn't wind you down and it doesn't give you those beneficial sleep waves that you need. What does work is a few very basic things. Our bodies respond to light and temperature and noise. So those are the sort of three main things that it responds to to have good sleep. So you need to lower your body temperature somehow to have good sleep because uh, that is in line with the falling of the body temperature during the nighttime, the normal circadian rhythm. So having a slightly coolish environment, if you want to open the window a little bit or set the aircon to uh, a slightly comfortable and slightly chilly temperature, darkness as well. Our, any light can actually affect our internal clocks and make us think it's daytime. So minimizing the light as we get to the night and also the noise as well. Our ears are very receptive to any disturbances. They're trying to keep a room as quiet as possible. And this is something I've had to learn over the years and really, you know, struggle to get right. We're discussing your body. Well, not yours specifically, but bodies in general and how to take care of them with Dr. Curran Rajan. He's a surgeon in the UK and author of the book, This Book May Save Your Life, Everyday Health Hacks to Worry Less and Live Better. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. As a listener to something you should know, I can only assume that you are someone who likes to learn about new and interesting things and bring more knowledge to work for you in your everyday life. I mean, that's kind of what something you should know is all about. And so I want to invite you to listen to another podcast called TED Talks Daily. Now, you know about TED Talks, right? Many of the guests on Something You Should Know have done TED Talks. Well, you see, TED Talks Daily is a podcast that brings you a new TED Talk every weekday in less than 15 minutes. 
Join host Elise Hugh. She goes beyond the headlines so you can hear about the big ideas shaping our future. Learn about things like sustainable fashion, embracing your entrepreneurial spirit, the future of robotics, and so much more. Like I said, if you like this podcast, something you should know, I'm pretty sure you're going to like TED Talks Daily. And you get TED Talks Daily wherever you get your podcasts. So, Doctor, I think people, most people have heard that heart disease is the number one killer. So what can we do to protect our heart and, and keep it pumping? So one of the best things for your heart, and it's essentially magic dust for your heart, is exercise. I mean, that's a very dogmatic thing to say, but when you exercise, you get a release of these things from the muscles called myokines. You also get an increase in the production of nitrous oxide, nitric oxide. And this widens the blood vessels, improves blood flow, and is actually protective and beneficial for the hearts. And besides these things, on the other foot, what is detrimental for the heart and what we try to avoid as much as we can is high amounts of stress. High amounts of stress floods your body with these stress hormones and stress chemicals like adrenaline and cortisol, and it raises your blood pressure. And chronically, when you have high blood pressure, that can actually damage the vessels and the arteries which supply the heart. And that's where you can result in long-term heart problems. I know you talk about the ears and that's one part of the body people don't typically think much about unless there's a problem but what's your what's your advice you see so many people shoving q-tips in their ears and it really worries you as a surgeon because your eardrum, the tympanic membrane, is so flimsy and friable. So when you have something sharp that goes in there, this can cause serious damage. And the Q-tip essentially doesn't do its job properly because it pushes any earwax you're trying to get further in towards the eardrum. And it can actually end up being pushed and stick against the eardrum. And if you really want to clean your ears, people think it's always something that you need to put inside. It can just be something simple like olive oil drops or specific earwax drops that you put in or just some water that you put in with a towel and you wipe it from the outside. Our ears clean themselves. The earwax naturally comes out on its own. The ear is a self-cleaning organ and the earwax plays a very crucial role in protecting the integrity of the ear. What about the eyes? I mean, people know to wear sunglasses in the sun and, you know, not stick anything in your eye. But I mean, what else are we supposed to do? It's a really worrying trend that we're seeing more and more people these days developing myopia, short-sightedness. And one of the big contributing factors for that is because we are now living in a world, in a generation where we are completely fixated on screens. We are looking at screens, children are watching TV, iPad, uh, social media, you know, scroll holes, and that short-sightedness when we're just looking at our phones just a few inches from our face is causing this pandemic of myopia and affecting our eyesight. So for a start, we can maybe stop looking at screens and look up, go outside and protect our eyes by looking at things in the distance and not just electronic screens a few inches from our face. But how much can that do? I mean, if you look up and look in the distance, which I've heard that advice before, but I mean, if, 
if I take two minutes out of my day, is that going to do anything if the rest of the time I'm staring at my iPad or my monitor? It may not do anything chronically if you're just looking at your screen, but it's interesting in that your eyes plays a role beyond just that of vision. So if you take a look from your screen and you look up at a horizon, so you look up out of your phone and you look at your garden and you see the horizon, you see the sky, your eyes, where you look and how you look and what you're looking at can actually change um, your stress levels and your mindset. It's something called optic flow. When you move from a short-sighted vision to a long-sighted panoramic view, it actually widens those pupils so it takes in more light and it actually changes your mood in that it actually comforts and relaxes you this is why walking or cycling or being in nature is actually beneficial because you get more of the panoramic horizon view talk about the nose because you know i i know everybody seems to have allergies and we we don't know should we use a neti pot should we what's the recommendation yeah, so the nose is an interesting one, and it's a, a misunderstood uh, organ on in its own right. I would say that if someone is suffering from allergies, and this is cold, flu, allergy season, you know, one of the basic things that people get wrong with, you mentioned neti pots. When someone uses neti pot, a definite thing to avoid is avoiding using tap water to irrigate your nose. And it's quite rare in the Western world, but you can get some bacteria which can go up in there and cause all sorts of problems in your nose. So if you are using a neti pot to irrigate your sinuses and your nose, you should use either sterile water or boiled tap water, which is then cooled down. What else do we do or not do with our nose that we probably should or shouldn't? So another thing is when people are... Um, you know, affected by allergies, they tend to use nasal sprays. And I've seen in my practice, when I've seen patients use nasal sprays, and even online, they use it completely the wrong way. People, you know, point the nasal spray straight up into their nose, where actually it needs to go and be pointed parallel to your earlobes and your ears, because actually your sinuses are parallel to your ears, not straight up towards your brain. And actually, you not you should not inhale as you spray in because then it travels all the way to the back of your mouth. So when you get your basic techniques with the nasal spray wrong, you end up not benefiting from the medication itself. So wait, how, so how do you do it? So if you take the nasal spray, you place it in the nostril, and then you tilt it so the nasal spray is almost at like a 130 to 180 degree angle. And the nasal spray is actually parallel with your ears. Okay, it's parallel with your ears, which means it is now in the same level and length as the sinuses, which is where the medication needs to go. If you just point the nasal spray straight up, it just hits the septum and the walls of the actual uh, nose itself without getting into the sinuses properly. You started the conversation by talking about how our perception of pain and our understanding of pain can influence how much pain we feel. In these last few minutes, just talk a little more about that. So it's interesting about pain in that, you know, without offending anyone, um, if you understand pain, pain is a creation of the mind in most sense. 
And it's not always just um, a correlation with tissue injury. Like, for example, we can dial down or increase the perception of pain just based on how we perceive it. For example, there was a really famous case report of a man who came to the emergency room with a big nail going through his boot. And he was screaming in agony because this nail had gone through his boot and into his foot and was causing agony. Now, the emergency room doctors were also concerned and they removed the boot and they found that the boot contained the entire nail and the nail hadn't actually gone through his foot at all. It was purely his perception that the nail had gone through to his foot that had caused this degree of pain. So actually, there's a degree of placebo and nocebo effect with pain. And how we perceive pain can make it worse or better, which is why when someone is getting an injection, for example, if they look away and they can't see the injection going in, they're depriving their brain of certain sensory inputs so they can actually dial down the pain. If you're looking at the injection going in, I bet you it's going to be far more painful than if you look away. But there are a lot of pains that are really painful. I mean, people who have chronic pain, I understand that some of it is in their head, but a lot of it is not. A lot of it is real, honest-to-God pain. Yeah, all, all pain is real pain, for sure. And with chronic pain, it's very interesting because there is some abnormality in the pain processing where it's actually increased. It's the pain fibers and the receptors are almost desensitized to the point where it's broken. And unfortunately, they experience sometimes pretty crippling pain. Well, I appreciate the straightforward advice. I think that's the kind of medical advice people like to hear. I've been speaking with Dr. Curran Rajan. He is a surgeon in the UK, and he is all over social media with millions of followers, and he's author of a book called This Book May Save Your Life, Everyday Health Hacks to Worry Less and Live Better. There's a link to his book and a link to some of his social media in the show notes for this episode. Thanks, doctor. Thanks for being here today. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thanks, Take doctor. Care. Bye-bye. As wonderful and joyful as your life may be, there's always conflict. You and I have to deal with people who don't agree with our point of view. Many of us don't feel we are all that well equipped for this. Some of us avoid and run from conflict. Others turn conflict into a full-blown war. So how do we best handle conflict, particularly if we don't feel very skilled at it? Well, here to offer some great suggestions and insight into how conflict works and how to best resolve it is Jason Gaddis. He is a speaker, writer, podcaster, and considered an expert on interpersonal conflict. He is author of a very popular book called Getting to Zero, How to Work Through Conflict in Your High Stakes Relationships. Hey, Jason, welcome to Something You Should Know. Thanks, Mike. Good to be here. So I think a lot of people would admit to having trouble with conflict. Why do you suppose that is? Why do we need help with this? There's a few reasons we need help here because a lot of people wing it and I think that gets them the results they're getting. Then some of us buy into the fantasy that when you enter into a good relationship, you shouldn't have any conflict. And then that sets us up to resent it when it happens and then not learn about it and instead wish it would just go away. 
and then we judge ourselves like, oh, maybe it's the wrong person. You know, maybe there's something wrong with them or me. But really, it's just conflict is a part of life. Look around. Um, conflict is everywhere. And adversity is actually good for us. So what you said about winging it, boy, doesn't that seem right? Because when, when often conflicts happen, there isn't time to sit down and go, hmm, how should I approach this? How, what should I do? It, conflicts happen in the moment in real time. And, and, and even if they don't, we get worked up enough that there's no plan. It's just lock and load. Yeah, lock and load, blame myself, blame them, um, wait in silence for it to get better. Let's have a glass of wine and watch a movie. A couple days later, hey, it's better, so I guess we figured it out. And the problem with that approach, of course, is it compounds over time and it builds and it gets worse. Boy, isn't that true, where the absence of conflict after a conflict creates an assumption that everything's fine. Yeah, that's right. And it's, and it's not. not fine. <laughs> so what is it when when that happens what is what's going on what, why isn't it fine well if we hooked you up to a brain a brain monitoring system and we were able to regulate your heart look at your heart rate we would see that you actually are under stress um you are activated your sympathetic nervous system is keyed up a little bit and even a little bit if that's chronically on in our home that's not good for our health long term so I think people live inside of stressful marriages and families because they're used to it. It's the water they swim in and they get used to that low grade kind of hum of activation thinking it's normal because maybe they also grew up in a family like that. So it's normal and people just tolerate it. And um, that's unfortunate because then they don't have the feedback to kind of say, wow, this feels really terrible. I want to change how I feel. I better talk to my partner or my person. I better learn how to work through this so that I can feel better. And, and people sometimes are de-incentivized. I think a lot of people believe, though, that if I talk about this, if I bring this up, that starts the conflict. So if I keep quiet, no conflict. Yeah. And then if I put on some Netflix and I take some kind of medication or I eat a lot of sugar, or I just, you know, distract myself with work, I kind of don't have to, like, look in that direction. Yeah, because instead of facing the, the conflict and resolving the conflict, you just kind of let it die its own slow death. Well, then everything's fine. Yeah, I mean, that definitely, I think, is how a lot of people do it, unfortunately, Mike. And again, the long-term cost of that is, is not good from a health standpoint. So what we could do if we want to feel like really great inside of a business partnership, a marriage, a family, a friendship is that we can agree that, hey, when we have a conflict, uh, let's agree that we're going to work through it until we get to the bottom of it. Let's ag also agree that we both own our part. We learn how to validate each other's feelings. Um, and we learn how to be a team in this process and we get stronger through that. So if people can agree to those kind of conditions and terms, you know, perhaps when stress does arise, because it will, then they, rather than sort of turn down the white noise machine and just kind of look in the other direction, they engage and they say, hey, what happened there? It looks like I hurt your feelings. It looks like I said something that was upsetting to you. Oops, maybe we, can we work through that? Can we get back to a good place? That might be, you know, a better alternative. 
So what what you just said, uh, you know, I hear a lot that you know we need to work through it, deal with it, get to a better place. I think a lot of times, oh, I can speak for myself. I don't really know what that means. I don't know what to work through it means. What that looks like exactly. Other than, you know, I, I say my what I believe and, and the other person says what they believe and we try to come to some resolution. Is that working through it? Yeah, so we'd have to define it. So that's a good point. Whatever working through it or leaning into it or resolving it means, we, we should have a shared reality on what that means so that we can, we, we know what the outcome we're both after is, which is to feel more relaxed, more connected, more like we're on the same team. So what do we need to do between right now that feels bad and that feeling we want, which feels good? What do we need to do to get there? What do we need to do to get there? Well, how do you get there? If, if I think I'm right and I think you're wrong, uh, how, how are we going to get there? Yeah, that's not going to, we're not going to get there, especially if you stay stuck in your right and I'm wrong and you're not willing or flexible to listen to me until I feel understood, if you are unwilling and unable, then this relationship will not last. It, it will get to a point where I will get sick and tired of being in a relationship with someone like you who just wants to blame me for everything. I have no interest in being in those kind of relationships. So I move on personally. Some people, for whatever reason, like to stay stuck in those kind of relationships and where it's good for me, but it's not good for you. That's not a relationship in my opinion. So what's a better way to do it? Well, how do you approach it? Where it's good for me and it's good for you. You know, if we think of a team, like a sports team, the, the team understands in the band, a band is another example. Uh, they understand that like, look, if something's good for me, but not good for you, how are we going to jam? How are we going to win? Uh, it has to be good for all of us. Um, we have to have a good time and we put the team above any individual. If we move that into an intimate relationship, it's it's just in a, a kind of a agreement that we want to be an awesome team and there's just two people in this team and let's behave in ways that are good for both of us. And when I act like a jerk and I hurt your feelings or I do something that's not team oriented, that's more self-focused and it hurts your feelings. I want to know about that because I care about you. I care about your feelings. I care about how my behavior impacts you. How do you, I mean, all of this sounds great, but how do you, somehow suspend or put aside the emotional part of it that throws people off the rails in order to have that conversation when tempers are flaring and people are screaming, <laughs> then it's yeah. hard, it's hard yeah. to do that. That's right. Well, it's two things there. Uh, one is we, we all need to become more emotionally intelligent and increase our emotional capacity, which just means I, as a, <clears throat> as a man, for example, I need to get better at feeling my sadness, my anger, my frustration, my joy, my irritation, my hurt. And the better I get at that, the more I'll be able to handle your upset, your anger, your frustration, your sadness, et cetera, et cetera. Because if I have never dealt with my feelings, because I grew up with a father who shut down my feelings, and I'm in an adult relationship, feelings are going to be a huge problem, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get activated and irritated and bothered by your feelings. So what's the, what's the solution? It's not to change you and ask you to feel less. It's to change me and say, wow, I need to learn how to feel more so I don't have such a problem with your feelings. So that's number one. Number two is we have to get good at cleaning up the mess 
after we make a mess. So if you blame me and we get into kind of a fight that's very blamey, and but we really underneath that, we really care about each other. Five minutes or five hours later, we want to clean up that mess. We want to repair it. And so that's when one of us would lead that and say, hey, you know what? I don't like how we treated each other yesterday or five hours ago. And I want to make this right. What do we need to do to get back to a good place? Well, I just want to own my part, which is, man, I raised my voice. I called you a name, yada, yada, yada. So the most important thing with conflict actually isn't not being a jerk in the moment. Like we can always work on that. But the best is the best part is cleaning up the mess. That's where we can have the most leverage. And it's actually the thing that builds secure, strong relationships over time is, is getting very good at that repair process. Yeah, it just, it does seem like, like as you were do, go, going through the conversation, when someone takes responsibility and owns what they did, it's so powerful, and yet it's so, like, counterintuitive. It's much better, seems like it would make more sense for me to defend myself for what I did or minimize what I did rather than say, yeah, I really screwed up here and, and you know, that and, and that's my fault and I'm sorry. I mean, that, imagine the power that has, and, and people tend not to do it. Yeah, that's right. I mean, look, I lived 30 years of my life doing that, defending myself. And it got me the relationships it got me, which is I had a lot of friends. I had a lot of superficial, short-term relationships. Um, but it didn't get me deep, good, solid friends. And it didn't certainly didn't get me uh, a great marriage, Um and if I did that in my own marriage with my wife, and I, I have done that, and once in a while I do have that knee-jerk defensive response, it just doesn't go well. So I learn how to, again, clean that up. Oh, honey, I got defensive there, didn't I? Yeah, my bad. Um, here's, the, here's how I really want to, here's what I actually want to say. So again, it, it requires a tremendous amount of maturity to get better at this part of our life. And not everybody wants to do that. I can imagine listening to you and thinking, you know, this all sounds great, but this is not how I've been doing it. And so, if you're kind of stuck in your old ways, how do you even start to put your toe in the water and break out of that and start doing what you're talking about? Yeah. The first thing is to decide, do I want this part of my life to be different? To just make a decision. Like, am I happy and fulfilled with how I'm doing my relationship life? And if the answer is yes, then keep doing what you're doing. You're probably doing great. If the answer is no, I, you know what? I'm not that fulfilled. I have friends, but I feel kind of like no one knows me and I've never really had a deep partnership or I've been divorced three times or, you know, whatever the track record is, it's like, get honest. Do you want this part of your life to be different or not? And if it's a yes, then the next step would be to look in the mirror. And to look at all the ways in which you are keeping yourself from the very thing you want. Because some of us are very other focused and we've got the finger pointed outward. I think it's wiser to point the finger inward, not in self-blame, but in curiosity at yourself. Like, yeah, what is it that I do that keeps me from love, that keeps me from having extraordinary relationships? And what do I need to do? It's like getting in shape. So what you're saying really is it takes some effort and a willingness to, to realize that what you've been doing doesn't work and maybe you need to do something different, yet it is so easy to keep just doing what you're doing. Yeah, you said it. Yeah. And that's interesting to me. It's like, and then we have to ask, I always like when someone's doing that, I always 
challenge them by asking this question. I say, what are you getting out of continuing to do it the way you're doing it? Because clearly you're getting something out of that or you wouldn't be doing it. So what are you getting out of it? If, if, you're, if it's destroying your relationship and upsetting you and getting you angry and stressed out, what, what, where's the benefit? I'm not seeing it. Yeah, it's different for everybody, but we can start by just going, well, maybe I'm getting to be a victim. And when I'm a victim, what do I get out of that? Well, I get a lot of people feeling sorry for me. I get a person who, I get a partner or a friend that always is trying to help me when I'm down on myself. So I get, I get attention. I get um, help. I get to run a narrative that I can't overcome my challenges. And that keeps, that, that gets me comfort. I get to stay comfortable. Like when you're in your victim seat, which all of us fall into sometimes, you're in a comfortable place and you're getting something out of that. It's like, I'll just sit on the couch and blame other people or the world. Then I don't actually have to do the harder thing, which is to get my ass off the couch and go apply myself with something. Yeah, I, I always feel like, because I know people like this, like who who seem to like revel in the conflict and seem to like get their fuel from it. And and if they did what you're talking about, I, I, I would love to see, like, it seems like they wouldn't know what to do. Like, well, wait a minute, this is, this is where's all the trouble? I, I miss the trouble, I, I need the trouble. Exactly, I need the trouble, I need the drama. And look, a lot of us don't actually want what we claim we want because then we would feel differently and our life would change and our friendships would change and our family relationships would change. And becoming more empowered in this area of our life or really any area uh, is a journey. And people would rather take the medication or not make the journey and come up with an excuse as to why they can't do it. Because again, there's this hedonist in, inside all of us that would just kind of wants to be a bystander. I, I just want to be a passive observer in my life rather than an active participant. What's something else that trips people up or gets them in trouble in relationships that we haven't talked about yet? Yeah, there's another important point here I call two bad choices. And it's a double bind that a lot of people in, get in. So let's say a listener is finding themselves relating to this. and They're like, oh, I kind of am avoiding conflict. Because there's a lot of people that avoid conflict, and which we haven't talked about. And people avoid conflict because of these two bad choices. So choice A is, well, if I speak up and I say the uncomfortable thing, it's not probably not going to go well and the other person might get mad and it might get worse and they might go away. That's choice A and that's how people see it in their mind if they speak up. Choice B is I won't speak up. I won't do anything. I'll just kind of keep silent, I'll minimize the problem. And it's not that big of a deal. Uh, I'm probably making uh, too much too much out of this. So I won't say anything. Well, choice B is betray yourself. So you're not, you're leaving yourself behind. So choice A is do you want to risk losing the relationship on the outside? Or choice B is do you want to lose the relationship on the inside? And so people just sit on their butts and don't take action because both feel bad. Both choices are like, oh, I don't like either one of those. So I, I'm just going to choose nothing, which is kind of a choice B. And once people start to see this, they're like, oh, you know what? That's terrible. I don't want to create an inner conflict, create another conflict by not saying anything. Because when you don't say something, you've just created another conflict in yourself now that you have to deal with because it didn't go anywhere. You're withholding your true expression or your opinion or your how you see it. You're stuffing that, right? 
that has nowhere to go except inside of you. And that piles up over time and it builds resentment over time, which usually comes out sideways. So I always encourage, all right, if you see the two bad choices, obviously choice A, at least you get to include yourself. And yeah, you might lose that relationship. That might, it might get worse temporarily. That person might go away, but at least you have yourself. And that leads to, those are some of the stepping stones toward, toward having more fulfilling relationships because you can't have a fulfilling relationship when you're leaving your expression behind, right? One of the things I think people struggle with, though, is, as you say, you know, people avoid conflict. And sometimes it's hard to know because you don't, you don't want to make a mountain out of a molehill over every little thing. So, okay, so let's just let this one pass. Let's let... So, I, it, like, where's the line? At what point do you stop letting things pass? Because you don't want to make a big deal out of every little slight, every little thing, because, you know, you gotta you got to take your lumps in a relationship. It seems to just happen, but where's the line? Yeah, I have a little different philosophy. I, I'm the kind of person who doesn't want to leave any little interaction that didn't feel good. Uh, not talked about. I want to talk about all the things. That's how I am. Now, that might not be how you are or other people prefer it because it feels like so much work to bring it up all the time. And it feels challenging. And it's like, I don't want more challenge in my life. So, I just won't say anything this time. I, I think the, which is again, it's fine. You can do that. Uh, there's just a cost. There's always a cost to whatever we're doing. And the cost is if you keep doing that and it's a pattern you're not speaking up about the pattern. This thing keeps happening, but you don't say anything. That's going to turn into a resentment, guaranteed. Uh, so an example would be like, if, if you just roll your eyes at me once, I'm going to probably let that go. Not a big deal. But if you continue to roll your eyes at me every time I express my feelings, right? And it goes on for months and years. Clearly, I'm going to feel so dismissed inside, but I'm going to get used to you rolling your eyes at me. So I, there's two directions that goes, I get used to it and I don't, it doesn't bother me anymore. So it's like I've built up a, a sort of a tolerance to it. Or the other direction is I get more hurt. Every time you roll your eyes at me, I get hurt again and again. And the more I don't say anything, the more I'm hurting myself. And then I've trained my partner that it's okay to roll your eyes at me or make a sarcastic jab at me or whatever. And I, you, you sort of train people what you tolerate. And you let people treat you, you know, that way unless you speak up. So I'm a big fan of teaching people how to speak up and encouraging speaking up more often than not. It's fine to let things slide once in a while, but over overall, you want the kind of friendships and relationships where, hey, if something doesn't feel good here, we deal with it. We don't brush it aside. Well, I think this is some really insightful advice to help people who, you know, sometimes struggle with relationships. They want them to work, but they don't deal with conflict well, and they're just not sure what to do. Jason Gaddis has been my guest. He is a relationship teacher, coach, and founder of The Relationship School, and he's author of the book Getting to Zero, How to Work Through Conflict in Your High-Stakes Relationships. And there's a link to his book and to The Relationship School in the show notes. I appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Jason. Uh, Mike, it's been a pleasure. Thanks a lot for uh, interviewing me here. It's been fun. 
You are well aware, I'm sure, that it can be very expensive to heat your home in the winter. So where does the heat go? Well, you've probably figured out that heat can seep out through windows and doors, but it has other escape routes as well. For example, about 2% of your heat loss goes through your electric outlets. A big one is the access hatches in your ceiling that open up into an unheated attic. You can lose quite a bit of heat that way. Recessed lights, wiring, and plumbing all leak out heat. Fireplace dampers and chimneys leak out heat. Air leaks from fans and vents. About 10% of your heat loss is from windows and another 10% from the doors in your house. If you think your door is secure, try the dollar test. Put a dollar bill over the threshold of a door, close the door, and if you can pull the bill out, there's too much space. Consider this, a 1 8 inch gap under a 36 inch wide door will let in as much cold air as a two and a half inch hole punched in the wall. And that is something you should know. You know, we are on Facebook and we invite you to come over there and follow us on Facebook. We post things that remind you of episodes that have been published that you might not have heard. And it's just a good way to keep up with what's going on here. I'm Mike Carruthers. Thanks for listening today to Something You Should Know. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.